everybody. I am so happy you're here. For those who are joining online, I'm thrilled to have you as well. Whether you are uh, uncertain about what you believe, maybe you're spiritually unresolved or deeply dedicated to what you believe, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad we're going to be able to study the book of 2 Timothy for the next few weeks. So at the beginning of every year in January, this has just been a personal habit of mine for, I don't know, probably 25 or 30 years, is I just take a book of the Bible. I usually take a shorter book and I just spend a month or more working through it personally. I find it uh, reestablishes a habit or a discipline in my life of just engaging with scripture on a regular basis. So this is what I'll be doing over the next five weeks is I'll take the book of Second Timothy and I'll take a, a notebook and I don't call it a journal. All right, guys, take a notebook. You don't have to have a journal. And I will write questions and observations and I am not the type of person who can read a whole lot at one time. I will read small sections and think about it, ask questions, go over and over. And then out of that, what we're going to do together is we'll study that same book. So this is an invitation to you if maybe it's been a while since you read the Bible or maybe it's a regular habit. If you'd like to join in in 2 Timothy, I'll be teaching out of it for the next five weeks. And you can read it. And we'll discover some beautiful new things. But let me give you a little setting on the book of 2 Timothy. I'll give you one guess. Who's it written to? His name's Timothy. Okay. This is the second letter that he receives. Uh, there's different types of books. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's different genres of scripture. This is called an epistle. And the word epistle simply means letter. So this is a pastoral epistle. Timothy is the pastor of a church in Ephesus. And Paul is his mentor and his spiritual father. And Paul is writing him a letter of encouragement. Now, Timothy's facing all types of challenges. And we need to talk a little bit about that. If we don't understand the context, some of what we read in chapter 1 we'll kind of miss. Let me show you a map, first of all, just so geographically we can get an idea of where this is. Uh, down here would be Israel. This is Ephesus right here. Um, Paul, as he writes this, is in Rome, imprisoned. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Timothy, the recipient of the book, is from this city of Lystra or Lystra. In Acts chapter 16, you can read about Paul. Paul had this amazing series of journeys, three of them, where he traveled all over the Greco-Roman world, the, the Roman Empire, planting churches. One of the cities he goes to is Lystra. And there he hears about a man named Timothy. Acts chapter 16, he takes Timothy under his wing. And Timothy is unique because he's actually biracial. His mother and grandmother, his mother is a Jew and his father is a Greek. And that was fairly uncommon during that day. And so he grows up understanding both of these cultures. He ends up being the right-hand man for the Apostle Paul. Paul is going to find himself in prison frequently. And one of the things he'll do is he'll have Timothy go visit all the churches that he planted while he's in prison. He'll, have him, he'll send Timothy to go work through tension in churches. Uh, he'll have Timothy deliver his letters. He'll have Timothy address uh, false teaching that arises in the churches. So here's this Timothy guy, oh, young and facing some real challenges in Ephesus. Let me show you a picture of Ephesus as it looks today. This is um, taken from right here is the great amphitheater. And you can kind of see down here is the floor. They'd flood this with water. 
Over 15,000 people, up to 20,000 people could sit in the stands of this amphitheater. It was one of the most uh, extraordinary, well-known cities in all of the ancient world. It was probably second only to Rome itself. Uh, this you'll see is a pathway. It's made of white marble. All these columns, most of them have fallen. But it went right out. And what was originally here was a massive dock. It was a port city. So traders from all over the world would come in and you'd walk up this, uh, th th this walkway and all the shops. Some, some estimate that somewhere between 250,000 and 500,000 people lived in Ephesus during the time where Timothy was there. So that's massive. Think about half the state of Montana in one city of the ancient world. It all changed when through a series of earthquakes and different things, uh, the sea, this was this port, began to fill in. And now, now it's actually five miles out to sea. So what used to be a harbor city is now dry. And as it filled in, mosquitoes became um, unbearable, malaria spread. And so they abandoned this whole massive city of a half a million people. Only 15% of it is excavated. It is just a massive complex. One of the most striking places I have ever been. And this is where Timothy is. Now, Ephesus is sophisticated. They have libraries. They have schools of philosophers. They have people who direct thinking and thought and business. It's, it's cosmopolitan. It was like a New York City. Okay, it was just that type of thriving environment. And this is where Timothy is. Paul has left him there to pastor the church. Paul had been in Ephesus longer than any other city, about two and a half or three years. But he had to leave. As normal, he got chased out of town. And he left behind Timothy. And he said, Timothy, I need you to pastor this church. This is an important city. Um, in order for the message of Jesus to spread, this is going to be a strategic, strategic church. Here's what we know about Timothy. He was tired. He was timid. He felt really overwhelmed. Um, he probably wanted to give up. He felt a bit ashamed because here's what was happening with Paul, who is his spiritual mentor, is Paul was in prison in Rome. Paul had been accused of crimes against the state, um, and Paul pulled the ultimate trump card. Okay, I'm not talking about presidential candidates. It's a term in cards. The Trump card. And uh, it was this. As a Roman citizen, he could appeal his case to the emperor of Rome. So he did that. He said, I, I actually want my case to go before the emperor. Now, the emperor at the time was uh, a man named Nero, who ended up being one of the more violent emperors of the whole Roman Empire. But Nero, he, he was in no hurry to hear Paul's arguments. And so Paul sat in jail for years on a short chain, unable to move. But during that time, he wrote letters. And so 2 Timothy is the last letter and probably the last book in the New Testament. And he writes this to his friend Timothy. And so Timothy's dealing with shame. He's dealing with worry. If they arrest Paul, they're probably going to kill Paul. What's going to happen to me? This is this is embarrassing. All this anxiety that he has. And so Paul's going to write him this letter to help him move forward. Because here, here was Timothy's tendency. When things got hard, he wanted to shrink back. It's, it's, it's hard. It's intimidating. I'm afraid. I, I don't know what to do. Timothy just wanted to hide in the shadows. Paul writes this book to say, Timothy, I need you to get out of the shadows. 
there's a future for you. And there's things I know about you that I am going to remind you of. Now, before we read the text itself, I think it's very important to notice that as Paul talks, there's going to be two categories of realities, two, okay? The first category is the category of the impossible or the miraculous. It's things that only God can do. No human being can do. Because Paul is going to ask Timothy to do a lot of different things. He's going to give him a ton of encouragement. But he is going to identify, Timothy, here are some things that only God can do. And that is deal with sin. That is deal with shame. That is deal with eternity. That is to save you. That is to give his Holy Spirit and bring you peace. Only God can do that. Timothy, you're not responsible for those things at all. You've got to rely on God to do that. But there's another category of things. Even though God can do all that, it's the possible. It's the possible. It's the things that Timothy's asked to do, which he's afraid to do, which he's drawing back from. And so this text is going to be about both of these things. You're going to identify what God does, but then you're going to identify Paul saying to Timothy, I need you to engage. There's things that you need to partner with what God is doing. Let's read together 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son. Notice how warm these words are. They had an incredible relationship. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears. It's the last time they had seen each other. They knew it was likely they'd never see each other again. And so they say goodbye. Paul leaves Timothy there in Ephesus. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy was even doubting that. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord uh, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us. See, again, this is the impossible. This is what God does. And has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appear appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. What a letter. What a letter. I want to start out by looking at the verb phrases. Remember we talked about 
There's these impossible things that only God can do and we're not responsible for. But then there are these things that Timothy and I, you and I are all called to do. So let's look at the verbs, the actions that Paul asked Timothy to engage in. The first is this. He says, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that was given you the laying on of hands. So what happened is Paul was there at the time when Timothy experienced this call into ministry. Okay, this filling of the spirit. And so often, this is the pattern, is somebody, they would, a leader would lay hands on you and pray, God, would you give them the gifts needed for this new assignment? And Paul says, Timothy, something has happened. This fire that used to be burning inside of you, this fire of passion for people, of passion for God, has just died away and there's just coals left. And I want you to fan it into flame. So for the past two weeks, the heater on the side of the house, we have a house that has an addition, it has an additional heater. Where our bedroom is, the heater quit working a couple weeks ago and it's been really hard to find somebody to try to fix it. It's really old. And so I, I thought, hey, Jenny, it's gonna be fine. We've got firewood and we've got a wood stove down below. Like, I grew up that way, right? And she's like, okay, but it better not be cold in here. I'm like, no, I'll take care of it. So I forgot what it's like to, you know, every night I'm out chopping wood. And it's been frigid, right? It's been really, really cold. So I chop wood, I bring it in, and I'm trying to get the fire to last through the night. Because in the morning when we wake up, here's the first thing that she says. It's freezing, and I look up at the thermometer and it's 52. I'm like, it's not freezing. That's 32. <laughs> We're way above that. But like, it is cold. And so I get on some shoes and I run downstairs to the wood stove is. And every morning for two weeks, what do I do? I open it up and I just look for any embers. And I, I'll, okay, there's, there's a hot spot. You can feel it. So I'll take paper, I'll take tinder, and I put it on there. You're careful. You have to feed it right. And then what do I do? I start blowing air onto those embers. It ignites again. I put wood on it. I fill it full, and then I run back in and jump under the covers because it's cold. So I spent every day for the last two weeks. Here's what Paul's saying. It's exactly that picture. He says, Timothy, something has happened. I know you've been in Ephesus a while. I know that you've had faith for a while. But something inside of you, your passion, has begun to just fade away. He says, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame those gifts, that, that salvation, that hope that you had in Jesus, your passion for people. I was there when it was initiated. Here's one thing that I think is very hard for us to understand. Um, many of us in the room want to feel passionate about something. I hear that a lot. Like, ah, I'm not passionate about my work. Or I'm really passionate about this. Or I want to do that. Follow your passions. When it comes to our spiritual lives, most of us have some sort of like passion like this. Woo, man, everything's great. I am so, so excited spiritually. And then you have some like, yeah. And then there's an experience where you're excited again. Sometimes it's a trial, it's a struggle, but you re-engage and you feel like, man, God is really at the core of who I am. We have these ups and downs. So I hear people all the time saying, I feel like I'm going through some sort of desert. I'm kind of dry spiritually right now. I want to present an idea to you that I think Paul 
really wants to get across to Timothy. Here's the idea. Passion is not God's responsibility. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. Paul says this. Timothy, God has already done everything that could ever be done. It has all been accomplished. All those impossible things of dealing with sin, of giving you security, of saving you. God has done that. Now, your job is to stay passionate about it. Here's the tendency. God, just pray, help me be passionate because I'm not passionate. God, I'm still not passionate. Please make me passionate. Paul says, that's not how this is going to work. God has already ignited something miraculous in you. Timothy, it is your job to get involved and to put the right things on that fire and to keep your spiritual fervor, to keep passionate. Fan those things into flame. Feed your spiritual life. I think that's an area where we so often we forget and we neglect and spiritually things just kind of dry up inside and we wait for God to do something. Paul's saying, no, Timothy, you do something. You reignite your passion for God. Fan into flame, our first verb. Next, he says this. He says, Timothy, something else you need to know. I need you to not be ashamed. I need you to not be ashamed. See, Timothy dealt with fear. He dealt with a city full of intellectuals. Ephesus had one of the finest libraries in all of the known world, second only to Alexandria and Egypt. People were well-educated. Timothy probably felt outgunned intellectually at times. He was dealing with embarrassment that his spiritual father was being held as a prisoner waiting trial before Nero. He felt like even his message, it felt like maybe it was inadequate. Let me show you one more picture. This is a picture that will help us understand maybe the shame that he felt. This has been destroyed. It was destroyed in an earthquake. But this was the great... Uh, temple to the goddess Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. Goddess Artemis. It was one of the original seven wonders of the world. Okay, this was an absolutely magnificent building. They said when ships were sailing into Ephesus, you could see it was enormous. You could see this. It was shine because it was made of white marble, gilded in gold. It was astounding. So people traveled from all over the world. And it was, she was a fertility, she was a fertility goddess. So um, it, it, temple prostitution, it was all tied into their, their cultural sexuality. You had these little statues of Artemis or Diana that you would put all throughout your house, in your gardens, in your fields, in your business, because she was about bringing prosperity, bringing fertility to whatever you're doing. And so this is, this is what the people in Ephesus had. Now imagine being Timothy. You're left in this city of half a million people who worship Artemis, who are so proud that one of the finest structures ever created by human beings is in their city. And your job is to try to go tell the city that they should quit trusting in Artemis. And instead, they should give their lives to a Jewish rabbi they'd never heard of before, who was crucified by the Roman government. And listen, remember, only the worst criminals were crucified. So Timothy's job was to go to Ephesus and tell them that they should let all of this go and they should surrender their life to a guy named Yeshua 
who was executed. And Timothy goes, but he, he rose from the dead. And they're like, mm-hmm. Timothy, how can, how can we live up to this? Our God doesn't even have a temple. You can't even see him. There's no statues of him. And Paul says, Timothy, never be ashamed of who Jesus is. Never be ashamed of the fact that he came to earth and he died. And yes, he was crucified. And the message, maybe, maybe it's not as convoluted. Maybe he doesn't have a temple like Artemis. But this is the living God who came to give his life for us. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm in prison because I, I believe in this message. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. You never have to feel intellectually overwhelmed. Don't be ashamed. Here's the third verb phrase. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. <laughs> Remember, Timothy's already a little timid. And Paul says, hey, and here's what else I want you to do. I want you to suffer a little bit. <laughs> what, what if your friend called you tonight, like your best friend in the world, and said, hey, how you doing? You're like, I'm doing fine. Hey, you want to do something tonight? Yeah, what? Hey, I was going to suffer. You want to join with me? You're like, what? Yeah, let's go suffer. You'd be like, what's wrong with you? This is weird. Paul is saying to me, hey, I got a great idea. You should join with me in suffering. Prison is fantastic. Right? What is Paul doing here? Again, Timothy's afraid. Is Nero going to turn against the Christian church in Ephesus? Is he going to be imprisoned? Paul says this. Timothy, I'm not the least bit ashamed that I am suffering for the gospel. In fact, Paul had this whole thing. If, if, if you read through the, the books that he writes, he purposefully appealed his case to Nero because he wanted an audience with Nero. He was pretty certain that he could convert Nero to the teachings of Jesus. I mean, the guy's, he's like, yeah, I'll go to prison if it gives me a chance to sit down with Nero. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this at all, and I'm not afraid to suffer. Timothy, whoever told you that life would be all nice and bouncy and bubbles and butterflies? Come on. We serve a God who was a suffering Savior. He came to this earth and died for our sake. Step up, Timothy. It won't always be easy, and you don't have to be afraid. Join with me. Paul says, I'm suffering right now, and I don't mind it. Because it's all about who I believe in. I am following him and I am not compromising and I wouldn't trade this for the world. He says, Timothy, it's not just because bad things are happening means you're gonna shrink back and I wanna quit. Life's hard. The church is mean to me. Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. This is the most beautiful thing that you could be doing. And then he says this, the fourth verb phrase. What you have heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching. So Paul says, okay, Timothy, do, do you remember? I, I received these teachings from Jesus and I've taken these teachings from Jesus and I've passed them on to you. And now, Timothy, I need you to pass these on to the half a million people that live in Ephesus. Timothy, you've got to 
keep the essence of what Jesus said in top, intact. Because here's the tendency. Here's the tendency. Every culture faces this. Some of the things that Jesus taught are not necessarily popular. Right? Some are a little bit offensive. Some of them are, I would say, politically incorrect. And so the temptation, the temptation that Timothy faced and that the church faces today is, um, what, if, what if we modified these teachings to make them slightly more palatable to our culture? Let's take out that because pe- that's unpopular with people. and We'll get rid of that. We'll just keep these. Paul says, Timothy, here's one of the things that I am relying on you to do. You have got to keep intact the core teachings of who Jesus is. Now, the church changes. How we worship, where we meet, how we sing, what we sing, what we dress like, all of that changes, that morphs. But the thing that can never change is the core message of the gospel, the good news. Paul says, keep it, hold on to it. And the last verb phrase that he uses is this. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. It's too many... You don't know what you've got inside of you. You feel empty. But I know that God put his life, he put his gifts inside of you. And those things are vulnerable. They're vulnerable. You can, you can go through an experience where you feel like, oh my goodness, for the first time in my life, I feel like I've got a healthy identity. It's based in God rather than based in my achievements. You, you feel really good about that. Okay, does that mean that for the rest of your life, You've got that core identity and you never lose it. No, right? We all like backtrack, we lose it. And that's what Paul's saying. You have got to guard those things that God put in your life. There's somebody out there who wants to steal them. There's somebody who wants you to step backwards. Guard it, hold on to it. Those things are more important than you can ever imagine. So guard the deposit that was put in you. There's the verb phrases. Now, let's move into this. Paul says, I also want you to remember some things. Here's four things that Timothy has to remember. The guy who's afraid, the guy who's shrinking back. First of all, remember, Timothy, that you are loved. He starts off the book. Timothy, you're my dear son, and I love you. Timothy is vulnerable. He wondered if Paul would be proud of me. I'm struggling here. I'm not doing well. I'm not half the leader that Paul was. Here's what Paul says. He knows the reports. He says, Timothy, I love you. And that is never going to change. Whether or not the church in Ephesus blows up or not, I'm committed to you and I love you. Listen, every human being needs that. You need somebody in your life who loves you not because of what you do for them. Most definitely, you need to know that that's how God loves us. Remember that you're loved. This is I I can't even figure out how and why, but I know this is true. The Bible says it, that there is no one in the room that God could love any more than he loves right now. You couldn't perform and do things and get rid of all the bad habits. It wouldn't mean he'd love you anymore. His love for each of us is absolute and total and complete. And if I don't know that, I'll be spending my life looking around for love, looking for someone to accept me. Here's where it starts. You are loved. You have to remember that. 
Because if you don't remember that, you'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. You'll be looking for affirmation from work, from people. It gets messy. You are loved. Remember that. Secondly, he says, Timothy, I want you to remember your roots. I want you to remember your heritage. Apparently, Timothy's father uh, was not a follower of Jesus. But Eunice and Lois, his grandmother and mother, were. And Paul says this, Timothy, I know you're doubting. You're doubting you even believe. You're doubting that you're going to make it. But I remember, I met your grandmother, I met your mother, and I know you. And the thing that was in them, this, this new life that they experienced when they began to follow Jesus, it was passed down from one generation to the next. And it, my friend, is in you. Whether you feel it right now, whether you acknowledge it right now, you have been remade. You're not the same old Timothy. You're a new creation in him. What's your spiritual heritage? Everybody in the room, here's what I love. You have 2,000 years of ancestors who held on to this message and had their lives transformed. And you, my friend, are not crazy. You're a part of something magnificent and beautiful. For some of us, you come from a long heritage of people who had followed Jesus, right? Um, for me, I'm second generation. I came home from school one day. My parents were burning all of their albums. I'm like, what happened? They're like, we met Jesus. I'm like, well, why do you have to burn all the albums? And like the TV, it went on lockdown. I walked half an hour a day. We used to go to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. And also we started going to church four times a week. I'm like, this is exhausting now that you guys have found Jesus. My life has changed. Something happened in their lives. They passed it on to me. <laughs> and my greatest prayer in the world is I pass it on to my four kids. And they pass it on to their kids. And it keeps going. And there's a new heritage. Some of you in the room, you're a brand new generation. Three years ago, my daughter graduated from senior high school. And... Uh, you know, everybody cheers when they announce names, and we cheered so loud for her. But there was one boy in particular. I, I did not know what was going on when they announced his name. It was like everybody packed in the metro just exploded in celebration. I'm like, what? He must be like, maybe he's the class president or something like that. So I catch my daughter afterwards, and I go, hey, honey, what was that about when they announced this guy that everybody got so excited? She goes, oh, Dad, he was the first person in all of his family to ever graduate from high school. Everybody had dropped out, everybody had fallen apart and he almost did, but people, like we all got around him and he's the first person in his entire lineage who ever graduated from high school and every, every student there knew it and so they just erupted in celebration. It was a new, new start, right? New start. Some of you are like that. You come from a spiritual background where there was just kind of a black hole, there was nothingness. You're the beginning of something new. And the generations, the disciples, the children, the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews that come after you are going to be world changers. Paul says, Timothy, don't ever forget your spiritual heritage. Don't ever forget your love. Don't ever forget God's gift. Remember God's gift in your life. Timothy, when I left you in Ephesus, I didn't leave you alone. 
I know you feel alone right now. I know, I know you feel like I'm all locked away. I can't help. But Timothy, when I left you there, I left you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave you gifts to lead, to teach, to serve. Timothy, don't forget those gifts. They're from God. You're going to have to rely on those more than ever before. Remember God's gifts. They're in every single person's life. And he says, remember to never be passive. Remember, remember to never be passive. There's two big problems. Inertia and inactivity. Timothy just, he's kind of one to let it all go by. Paul says, you can't afford passivity. Remember to step forward. And this brings us to the very last thing. The very last thing. It's a plan for how to live his life. Um, Paul said, here's, here's the actions I need you to be involved in. Here's what I need you to remember. And then here's, uh, here, here's this plan for you to thrive there. The plan to thrive is two-part. Number one is I want you to exorcise the old spirit. Okay? This is this. Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, of fear. Timothy, that's the old you. You're sitting there in Ephesus, you're scared to death, you're inactive and you're passive and you're feeling spiritually blah and you're forgetting who you are. And I want you to know, Timothy, you need to get rid of that spirit. That's the old spirit. You are a new man now, get rid of it. So this word exercise, right? Exorcisms, get rid of it, right? One of the things about being a pastor is every now and then somebody calls and they're like, you're not going to believe what's happening. I'm like, and I find somebody to go with me, and it gets weird. And it's time to get rid of some weird things. Okay, this is real stuff. Paul's saying, you need to get rid of it. That spirit of timidity, that's not from me. And then he says, I need you to exercise. Exercise the new spirit. And here's the new spirit. God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but he gave you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Next screen, please. To exercise the new spirit. Here's what this is. Power, dunamis. It's related to our word dynamite. It is explosive power. That's not power set on self-determination or will. It is a power where God comes in and charges new things, causes expansion, causes growth. This is Timothy. When God gave you a spirit, he got rid of the spirit of timidity and he gave you a spirit of power. Not to dominate, not to control people, but a spirit where there is life-changing realities flowing through you. What if you were going away? You came up and you said, hey, Nate, I'm moving out of town. And I said, hey, I just want to give you a gift before you leave. I go, great, what is it? And I said, I want to give you this gift of timidity and fear. I want you to take it with you to your new city. And wherever you go, may timidity and fear be with you. It's like the worst thing ever, right? You punched me. I didn't deserve it. Like, thank you. Paul says, that's not what God gave you. He gave you a spirit of power so that lives could be changed, so that you end up in Ephesus with all of its problems and all of its craziness, and you stand there and you go, what? You know what? God's going to do something in this place. He's going to change some lives. I'm not afraid. Power of love, agape. It's not a romantic love. It's not even a brotherly love. This is love expressed in action. This is love caring for the poor. This is love empathizing with those suffering. He says the spirit that God gave you is powerful, and it's all about love. It's about you laying down your life for that city. 
Because Timothy, you're not called to tolerate Ephesus. You're called to love Ephesus. It's about you and I opening our doors on Monday morning and looking over the city and not thinking, ugh. Thinking, God, these are your people. And you love them. And you've called me to love them. When I was in Ephesus, I, I, I sat and looked up at the hillsides and most of the homes were up on these hillsides and they're still buried under dirt. But I thought somewhere Timothy came out of his house after reading this letter from Paul and they would have walked out and he looked over these 500,000 people and he was scared and he didn't care for them and he was frustrated. And he looked at them and he said, listen, God gave me a spirit of love. Now I'm gonna love this city. I'm gonna lay down my life. God gave me a sound mind. Sophronismos, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It means good thinking, well thinking, clear thinking, controlled thinking. Typically, when you're confused, you think, I don't know what to do. I want you to remember that God gave you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind that you no longer have to make decisions based on positives and negatives. You no longer have to make decisions based on what's more beneficial to you. God is going to speak to you supernaturally so you can make decisions that are the best decisions possible. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love of a sound mind. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this book. It's 2,000 years old. It was written to an entirely different culture, but somehow it resonates with us because we are like Timothy. We tend towards passivity. Our passion dwindles. We're afraid. We're insecure. All of those things are real. Lord, I pray that you will remind us that we are loved. I pray that for some of us who the embers of our spiritual life have grown a bit cold, God, would we re-engage, would we fan into flame that gift of salvation that was given to us? Lord, we want to cooperate. I pray that our passion would burn hot. And not because we're sitting around waiting for you, but because we're saying, I will invest in my spiritual life. I'll join a new group. I'm going to pick up my Bible. I'm going to listen to a tape, whatever it is. Lord, would our lives ignite spiritually as we partner with the things that only you can do. Lord, with that new spirit of power and love and a sound mind, Bring about life change, renewal, hope, and beauty in our world. What if you keep your eyes closed for one moment? And there's one more thing I'd like to address. If you're here, and maybe you'd say this. You'd say, Nate, uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. Here's how you begin. If you need to start new with Jesus, if you need to surrender your life to him, if you need to be found in him, he does the impossible things, like deal with your sin, deal with your past, deal with eternity. That's the impossible, and then you get to cooperate in the possible. But if you need that impossible, that miracle of salvation to happen, 
You say, I need Jesus this morning. Would you just do something very bold? I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and wave at me. I want to make eye contact with you. All right, okay, beautiful. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, ma'am, you're a new creation. Yes, sir. I see your hand. You're a son. Both of you, sons, daughters. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You're his. Okay, both of you, all three of you in the back there. Right here. On my left. Okay, both of you guys. I love it. Yes, sir. You're his. You're made new. Anybody, if that's you in the balcony, wave at me, would you please? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And there as well. Both. Okay, here in the very back. Yeah. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Hey, would you open up your eyes? Everybody, uh, I don't know. There are a whole bunch of people. A brand new start. A brand new year. It couldn't get any better for you. Sons and daughters of God. I love it. If you did raise your hand, could I encourage you, go to that big center desk in the atrium. It's called the Welcome Center. Free Bibles there for you. Talk about baptism, get in a rooted group. Everybody else, if you need prayer for anything, there's people up front you can trust. You are loved. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. God bless you.